You're listening to a message from Micaiah Ermler, lead pastor of Southridge Church in San Jose, California. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we hope you will stay connected with Southridge by liking us on Facebook or by following us on Instagram and Twitter. Search for the handle at Southridge Now and click the follow button so you can receive uplifting, encouraging content right in your feed. Thanks again for listening. And now, here is Pastor Micaiah. I hear the chains falling. What a powerful song tonight. Good evening. If this is your first time with us tonight, I want to welcome you and fill out the connection card on your way out. We have a special gift for you. But it says here in Psalm 145, I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. And I will meditate on your wonderful works. They speak, they tell of the power of your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Verse 8, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. All your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of your glory, of the glory of your kingdom, and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. Amen. God bless you. Welcome once again. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. That song, Break Every Change, is directly from Luke chapter number 4, verse number 18, where Jesus stood up in the temple, and they asked him to read. And he said, proclaim liberty to the captive, because that was the year of Jubilee. And we just sang about that. You know, beginning of 2020, a lot of people were like, this is the year of Jubilee. This is going to be a great year. You know, we can still sing that. It is a great year. Even though many of you are walking through deep valleys and dark seasons. Even though yesterday, two from our church family have just seen loved ones pass away. Even as we hear that there are friends and family that are in the hospital, our God's still on the throne. Even as we hear a governor pass a bill that takes away the innocence of our children, SB 145, that we need to be praying and begging God to intercede. Even as you see what's happening around our country, even as you see what's happening with all the fires around our state, this is the hour not to panic but to pray and seek God because he still is setting people free. And we're going to continue to pray and believe. And when we sing songs like, I believe, during this season, I've been asking God to help me with my unbelief. I've been asking him to help me stop just saying things, but to actually start believing it. To have a confidence that what God says in his word, he will do. And as we come into the seasons, we come to church, I don't want us to ever have a normal Sunday. Can we just agree right now, no more normal Sundays? Because each Sunday is too important. Because we don't know how many more Sundays we get. We don't know how much more time God has us on this earth to be able to open up this book, be able to read these words, to fellowship together. I don't know about you, but when I see culture put 88% positive reviews on a Netflix video called Cuties, I'm grieved in my heart that there are 88% of wherever that poll came from said that they liked it. And I couldn't believe. And then as I go to God's word, it says, woe to them 
that call good evil and evil good. We live in that day. And as the church, we can look at people out there that are, have a different view than we do, and we can think they're the enemy. They're never the enemy. They're blinded. They're in bondage. They're in chains. They're not the enemy. They're the opportunity. And God is going to do some glorious work in this season. And I'm excited about what God's going to do. And one of the ways our church is going to combat all that's happening is something we do every quarter. It's called life groups. We think it's so important in this season for you to have the prayer support, for you to have the family support, to be around God's word. And so what we're going to do is after this service, we're going to dismiss early. I want to see everybody sign up for a group. And if you have time, sign up for more than one. If you're a couple and you want to go to a couples group, go to a couples group. But we've got men's group and we've got women's group. We've got groups that are meeting even for the young ladies. My wife is going to be teaching a brand new course I'm super excited about. There's going to be men's groups. There's all kinds of things. We've got a great young adults group that's going to be happening. And so what I want to do right now is before I pray, I want to pray for all of our life group leaders. So if you are a life group leader or co-lead, can you please stand just so we can get eyes on you? Because we want to pray for you. We also want to know who you are. And also we can see which person we want to like, yeah, I want to be with them. And I'm telling you, these are some of the most amazing, kind, sweet people you would ever want to be around. And all of them are good cooks, so there will be food at your group. So don't fret, all right? We're going to be doing a, a kind of a hybrid this fall. We're going to be doing watch parties. So if you feel comfortable to go and be in person, you can do that. Or if you say, no, I'll stay at home and do it via Zoom, you'll be able to do that. But we encourage you, do what you're comfortable. Don't just say, oh, I'm not going to get involved in a group. These men and women are leaders of our church, not just because, oh, we like how they teach. We ask them to lead because they live what they're about to teach you. And because they live it out, we want you to be around them. And we believe iron sharpens iron. So I'm going to pray for them. And would you life group leaders please stand while I pray over you. And if you want to pray silently for them that God uses them, because the birthmark of a believer is a bullseye. And Jesus even said, Smite the shepherd, scatter the sheep. So anyone who tries to lead for the kingdom will be attacked. So we're going to pray a hedge of covering over them and protection. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for each and every life group leader. I pray for them. I pray for their group. I pray for the young men and women they're going to lead. I pray for the young adults they're going to lead. I pray for all the Christians that they're going to lead this semester. And Father, there's going to be deep ties and connections. There's going to be iron sharpening iron. There's going to be great things that are going to happen. And Father, I pray that you would bless these life group leaders. Put a hedge of protection about them. May the enemy not get to them. There's going to be times that they're going to be about to give a lesson, and Satan's going to fight them in the very area they're about to teach a lesson on. And in that area, may they see victory so that they can give hope to their group that everyone can be an overcomer. I pray that you bless them, we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. Please turn with me in your Bible to the book of Acts, chapter number 14, if you would. Acts, chapter number 14. It is great to be back with you. Thank you so much, Pastor Missile, for holding down the fort last week. I, uh, uh, last minute, I just, I, uh, a sibling texted me and said, hey, by the way, I bought a house and I'm moving. If you want to see me, show up now. So I was like, okay, well, I want to see you before you go. So last minute, decided to uh, pack up the family and go to Fresno. And, uh, you know, it wasn't hot enough here, so we wanted to go somewhere a little bit more warmer. So we decided to go to Fresno, you know, and with even worse air quality. So it was, uh, but it was a great time just to get away, see family. But I'm so thankful for the team that God has assembled here, and thank you so much for being a part of the services. And if you missed last week's message, it is online. It went, uh, live stream this morning at 9 a.m. and it's also going as well at 5 but you'll be able to catch that message so please don't miss because we're going chapter by chapter verse by verse through the book of Acts and in times like this it's so important that we look at God's word and I just want to commend you as you are going through in this season we're studying God's word uh, 
the psalmist said, open thy mouth wide that I might fill it. And we live in a generation where we need people who are hungry for God, hungry for his word, and we're just looking at it because we're, we're kind of getting to see a mirror of how the church started and how the church should behave. Uh, many of you remember uh, our uh, John Borgway, used to be our children's pastor. He was up in the area a week ago, and he sat down with me, and we were just reminiscing, catching up. And I said, hey, what church are you going to? He said, well, I had to leave my church. And I was like, really, what happened? He was like, well, he said, they went all social justice. And he said, they just went down that path, and there was no more gospel. He said, I get it. We're supposed to be about social justice. But that's never the main thing. The main thing is Jesus Christ and his glory and the gospel. That is the main thing. If you will deal with those things, everything else will take care of itself. Because what we are seeing today is the fruit, not the root. The root always has been and always will be a sin issue. What deals with the sin issue in man's heart? The word of God. This is why we come to God's word, we open it, we look at it, and we say, God, it's not me trying to impose my will on your word, it's your word needs to impose its will on my heart and my life, and God, your will be done. I'm reading a book right now, and I love in chapter number five, the author of the book said, Lord, I am willing to be made willing. It's like this, husbands, your wife comes to you and says, hey, we need to go shopping. And maybe you don't like to go shopping. And you're like, Lord, I'm willing to be made willing because I'm not willing. It's like this. You were asked to be a part of a life group. I want you to pray. I am willing to be made willing and sign your name. And saying, God, I'm open to true surrender. Because it's amazing today how many people receive salvation, but they don't think salvation comes with surrender. Understand, the moment you receive Jesus Christ, you should be fully surrendered to him. Whatever he says to you, wherever he leads you, that is when God can move in profound ways. Because you might find yourself in opportunities to share the gospel with, uh, with people and see amazing things happen. So it's important that we look at God's word. Last week we saw in chapter 13, the apostle Paul began his first missionary journey with a man by the name of Barnabas. They set out and there was a third person. His name was John Mark. They set out. Now John Mark, if you remember chapter number 12, where we saw that Peter was put in prison, then there was a prayer meeting. The prayer meeting was held at Mary's house. Mary has a son. Her son's name is John Mark. John Mark is related to Barnabas. Now in chapter 13, we saw last week that they were commissioned and sent out. We heard more about prayer and fasting, and I'm so excited that more people in our church are beginning to pray and fast. This is a season to pray and fast. As a matter of fact, at the end of October, our church is going to be doing its first ever revival meetings where we're going to collectively encourage everybody in the church to fast all day, Yes, all day. And then in the evenings, we'll come together. We'll hear a time of reading of scripture, of prayer, of worship and preaching. And then we'll have a meal for everybody after. Because I believe right now, if you are not watching what's happening on, on, on the news and in the world, and if it doesn't reflect what we see in the Bible, if that's not clicking for you yet, then maybe you're just not reading enough because as I read my Bible, as I look at the culture and the world around me, because you can read Romans 1, just go to Romans 1 this week and then watch CNN and you'll be like, oh, oh, whoa, oh, it's, it's the same. Okay, this is the culture we live in. So it's so important that the church, and we used to think that prayer and fasting was only for the pastor and spiritual leaders. That should be a norm for every believer, prayer and fasting. And so we're going to have a time where we're going to be meeting together throughout the day, praying, fasting, and then the evening we'll break the fast together because I believe it's so important right now that we study God's word, we have a look at it, and we know what he wants to do. So we came to chapter 14. We said they're seeing great success in their missionary journey. Beginning in verse number 8, the Bible says this, And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul observed him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed. I love that. Seeing that he had faith to be healed. Paul could see how much faith people had. Isn't that crazy? That just blows my mind that Paul could just go walking through the church and all of a sudden he'd look around at people and be like, you got a lot of faith. Oh, you, wow, there's a lot of faith right here. 
Isn't it just incredible when you read the Bible? Don't just, when you open up the Bible, just kind of, oh, he saw a man who had a lot of faith. No, no, there was something about this lame man who had been lame from his birth, crippled from his birth, that the Apostle Paul, walking by him, who had heard his words, looks at him and says, this guy has a lot of faith. And because of his faith, something happens. Verse 10, he said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now when the people saw that Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priests of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave them himself without witness. In that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they scarcely restrained the multitude from sacrificing to them. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Paul gives his life for the gospel. Paul is willing to be stoned. Early on in the chapter, you'll see that he also had another threat of being stoned. This was a way to execute people. Some would say, Paul, you're reaping what you sowed with Stephen. You see, in that day, stoning was a very effective method for getting rid of somebody who you didn't agree with. And so you see in verse number 19, they stone him. Verse number 20, it says that after they had dragged him out of the city, verse number 20 says, however, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. Here's a man that had just been stoned. Now understand, they didn't throw little pea gravel at him. You would throw the biggest rock you could, and you would put somebody down in a ditch, and you would throw it. You would take somebody. They had a designated place for stoning. And so you'd throw the person in a pit, and that's where you'd throw the rocks at them. And so imagine they thought they had executed Paul. They dragged him out of the city, but when the Christians came around him, and I love that. You see, understand, Christians, you can have a powerful effect as you come around someone who's hurting. This is why we do life groups, and it's why we call them life groups. It's this zoe, it's this abundant life that as Christians come together around one another, we encourage those. This week, please reach out to the Madrano family. They've just suffered a loss in the family. This week, please reach out to the Two family. Many of you remember Sophie too. She passed away on Friday, uh, Saturday morning at 1.47 a.m. And many of you know these people. And this, this week, this past week was a difficult week in our church. But what the church family can do is come around people who are hurting. That's what the church does. We're not there to throw stones. We're there to help bind up the wounded, heal the bruised, okay? So this church, that's what they did. They gathered around. And when they gathered around, Paul got up. I've entitled this message, Give Up or Get Up. You see, when we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, many of us kind of think that us mere mortals could never live on such a plane. When you read about the Apostle Paul, it just seems like there's no way that I could even come close to living a life like the Apostle Paul. And I think many of us, we would first look at his preaching, wouldn't we? We would see a man that we would just think, this must have been a powerful preacher because he, wherever he went, just seems like people were being saved or at least they were getting so angry they wanted to kill him. And here we see Paul's very first miracle. First recorded miracle that Jesus Paul doing is in Acts chapter number 14 where this uh, man who had never been able to walk is now able to walk. Here we would think, man, I, I couldn't live on that level. But something you need to understand about Paul, he was a very simple preacher. Beginning in the first part of this chapter, he had a different way that he would communicate to the Jews and a different way he would communicate to the Gentiles. 
Without going into a, a long background, when it came to dealing with the Jews who had an understanding about God, he would start with the temple and the commandments, and he would start with the law. And he would start with the fact that the law, it can reveal the problem, but it can never remove the problem. That's what the Bible does. The Bible reveals the problem. James calls this book a mirror that we can look into and we can see what's wrong. Many of us, before we left the house to come to church, we looked at a mirror. Many of you, before you got out of your vehicle, you pulled down the little sun visor, popped open the little thing right there that has a mirror, and you looked at the mirror because it showed you what you look like. You want to make sure there's nothing in your teeth. You want to make sure that the makeup's okay. You want to make sure that the clothes are all right. You didn't miss a belt loop or anything. You want to make sure that you match. And that's what God's word is. And so we would think that when it came to uh, Paul, that this person, he just, he just knew and, and he would relate to the Jewish people that way. But then did you catch, as he was talking to those who were of the city of Iconium, that were worshiping Zeus, how did he relate to them? He used what we would call common grace. You say, what's common grace? I've never heard that. Common grace has to do with things like rain and harvest and food and employment. That's what he's talking about there. This is why many people have a hard time with heaven and hell in Scripture. You're thinking, well, there are people that they've just never heard a pastor. They've never heard a missionary. And so God would send them hell. No, no, no. The Bible even tells us in this passage that God never leaves himself without a witness. All men have common grace, meaning that they can look around them at nature around them and say, this didn't just happen. You can go to the Grand Canyon, you can see that, wow, there was, there was some divine work that happened here. You can look at the stars of heaven and see that there is some divine work here. You can look at the ground and see there's some divine work. Many of you husbands would look at your wives and say, there's some divine work. Come on, that's a free pickup line right there. You see, God always leaves himself a witness. So that's why God can later in Scripture saying that they are all without excuse. Everyone who dies and rejects Jesus is without excuse. Never let anybody fool you into thinking that if somebody were to die, that they would stand before God and say, I never had a chance to receive Jesus. No, we are all without excuse based on Acts 14, how Paul relates to him. He says, hey, it rains, and we understand that. Many people have a hard time with why good things or bad things happen to good people. Can I say it like this? Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. It rains on the just and on the unjust. It's common grace. Right now, we're all enjoying common grace. And Paul said, I'm going to start through common grace, which will lead you to saving grace. Saving grace. What is saving grace? Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For you are saved, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his grace, through faith, saved us. There is common grace, which leads us to saving grace, and that's what these people started to receive. So when you study scripture, understand there's a different way that God relates to different groups. So when you go to your workplace, there will be certain people, maybe they have a Catholic background. A Catholic background, it's easy to relate with them. They understand the Trinity. They understand Jesus. When you talk to a Buddhist, they don't understand the deity of Christ. They don't understand the Trinity. So you have to relate differently. This is a study right here in how to witness, how to evangelize. We'll continue moving because that's Paul's preaching. It was very simple. And many of us, we would think, ah, maybe it's his preaching that sets him apart. But understand what people said about Paul's preaching in 2 Corinthians 10.10. It says, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. It was not his preaching. Paul was not a great preacher. Most people in the New Testament preferred Apollos for his preaching. He was the preacher in the New Testament. There'd be debates about it. So it wasn't Paul's preaching. You say, well, maybe it was his passion that set Paul apart. We think maybe that would be it. And today, this word gets abused more than any other word. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to. And I say, hey, what happened with that job? I just wasn't passionate about it anymore. 
Hey, what happened to that relationship? Oh, I'm just not really passionate about it anymore. I talked with somebody in ministry a year ago, and I said, hey, tell me about your ministry. Well, I'm just not really passionate about that ministry. And I find that word so funny. You say, why? Because passion's a fickle thing, isn't it? Because passions change. Because the word passion in and of itself, you just open up a dictionary, what it even means, we've totally lost the meaning. Many of us think, oh, we need to find our passion, which just means the place where you just think that this energizes me. This, this is the place that I always just feel upbeat and always excited. Can I tell you, there never is such a place. And if you find it, it doesn't last long. Because the human nature is to always want more, always to consume, always want something new, always want something exciting. This is why we have divorce. This is why we have breakup. This is why we have uh, new jobs. This is why we always want new cars. This is why Apple is so, such a, a big company. Because they know every year you want a new phone, even though your phone works just fine. As a matter of fact, they're so good, they just kind of know that, hey, you're going to buy this product. And guess what? Samsung already had the same feature better a year before, but Apple just knows, oh, we got you. We got you. Come October, we got you. We're going to reel you in with the latest phone. And there we go. We buy our Apple gadgets. Why? Because they know something about human nature. We always want what's new and next. And many people, when it comes to passion, we just jump around. Oh, I'm passionate here. I'm passionate there. I worked at a church for six years. Six years I worked at a church where every Friday we did all the yard work for the entire seven and a half acre campus. Oh, also, I changed the oil on four buses and a 15-passenger van. Don't ask me to ever change your oil. I wouldn't trust me to change the oil on any vehicle. Why did they have me do it? And the pastor never once said, hey, Micaiah, are you passionate about yard work and changing the oil? He just said, hey, Micaiah, would you like a paycheck? Yes, sir, I'll do whatever. It's all good. You know, in my marriage, there's not, it's not like every day you wake up and, oh, I'm just so passionate today. No. You see, what has happened in the Christian circle is we are jumping from here to here. Keep me passionate, keep me bad. We have spiritual ADD. How about we build a little character and say, hey, this is just where I'm at. You see, I was taught to bloom where I was planted. You see, many of us don't understand that there is a payoff if we continue through the process. That if we are just faithful, then there is a blessing. So stop saying, oh, well, I'm not passionate about that. I'm not passionate about him, passionate about her. Passion is a millennial term that has been misdorted and abused. What we need is some character to say, you know, I'm going to just stick with this. Because I love seeing those couples who have 55 years of marriage under their belt walking hand in hand as they're going through the mall. And I'm thinking, there's a couple who didn't just say, oh, just wasn't passionate anymore. There's a couple who had something else. Paul, you could say, well, what about his passion? It wasn't his passion. What's made Paul stand apart that actually every one of us can relate to is found in verse number 19. Then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. That's what I call persistence. The same group of people that just tried to kill you, when you get up, you go back? You're going back to the same group of people that just said, hey, we want to end your life? That's what Paul did. He gets back up and he goes because that's persistence. That's what each and every one of us can have in this season. I know this season has been the most traumatic season for each and every individual. You get a free pass. This season has been hard. And if it hasn't been hard at work, it's been hard at home. And if it hasn't been hard at home, it's been hard when you go out around the mass of people who seem to every day get crazier and crazier. Even waiters who said, now that the restaurants are open, people are worse than ever. And I was thinking, you think we'd be grateful that we actually get to go eat at a restaurant finally? You know, you think we'd be grateful to be in the mall. But instead, there's news reports saying people are worse than ever. Understand, folks persistence. I love this quote. Failure is the path of least persistence. Let me say it again. Failure is the path of least persistence. Paul was persistent. He said, I'm not done in Iconium. There's some work I still have to do. 
and he gets up and he goes back to the very same people that hated him, disliked him, didn't want to be around him. They dragged him out of the city. You dragged him out, but he's got to drive to go back in. This guy's unstoppable. He is persistent. At the Bible college I went to, we had the dean of men. His name was Toby Weaver. What an individual, an extraordinary individual. I think this guy was bipolar, all right? He just was, you didn't know what you were going to get from one moment to the next. But we would have every Monday night, we would have men's devotions. And you would get there at Monday. You were tired after a long day. It would be at 10 o'clock at night. You'd have men's devotions. And it would be an auditorium about this size, but packed, filled with all the men from the college who would be in there. And he, of course, would start singing a hymn. Oh, victory in Jesus. And he would just sing a hymn, just just sing it and you would sing with them and everything. And then his whole devotion was, don't quit. He said, look yourself in the mirror. Because all of our dorms, we had these big old mirrors. He said, stand there in the mirror and said, I will not quit. I will not quit. I will not quit. I will not quit. And this would be, he would just go on like this for 20, 30 minutes. And he would just run. He was just about my height, you know, a little bit stockier and everything. And he would just run it. Don't quit. Don't quit. Keep going. Persevere. Persevere. Be persistent. And that was his whole devotion. But it stuck with me. And I think we need a little bit of Toby Weaver right now. A little bit of Toby Weaver persistence right now in this season. Because here, September, almost over, we're getting into October, and we're like, please, Lord, open up the schools. Please, God, start doing something. This, I don't know if I can take much more. Please, God, just give me some clean air, all right? It just feels like I'm sucking on the tailpipe of a 1967 Chevelle or something. It's just like this air is terrible. I just need some clean air. But we need persistence. But Paul's persistence goes on. The next day, he gets up and he goes to Derby. You know how far Derby was from Iconium? 40 miles, and he walked after he'd just been stoned. Here's a man who was persistent. Paul was not just a fighter. Paul was a finisher. In chapter 13, John Mark is giving up. In this chapter, Paul is getting up. So my challenge for us is not to give up, but to get up and to keep going. Paul was persistent, but not only was he persistent, he was consistent. You see, if you have persistence, you will get it. If you, have con if you are consistent, you will keep it. Let me say it again. If you are persistent, you will get it. But if you are consistent, you will keep it. A lot of people can start. Where are the people that can finish? Where are the people that, you know what? It's the middle of the half. Let's keep going. Where are the people that say, you know what? I'm not just going to give up on God right now because it's a rough season. I'm not just going to walk away from church because right now it just seems like it's not that much fun. I'm not just going to give up on God in this season because I've lost somebody or I've been wounded or I've been hurt. No, now more than ever, I'm going to stick it to the devil and I'm going to be persistent. There's nothing more that the devil would love than to see you quit. That's when he wins and says, yes, I knew they wouldn't make it. I knew if I put the pressure on. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So let's be persistent and resistant because the devil cannot stand when some Christians stand up and say, guess what, God? This is all I can do. All I can do is just keep standing. All I can do is just stay in this marriage. All I can do is just stay in this job. All I can do is just stay in your word. All I can do is just stay on my knees. God, that's all I can do. I know it's not pretty. I know it's not much, but this is what I've gotten this season. And God, I'm going to give it all to you because I'm going to be persistent in this season. All of us can be like Paul and be persistent. All of us can, to the youngest, to the oldest. Because if you are persistent, please write this down. If you will run until you reach the finish line, persistence breaks resistance. He goes back to the city. You would think those people said, we didn't finish the guy. We didn't finish him off. Let's go get some rocks, guys. There he is. He, he's coming back into the town. Let's get some more rocks. He's not done. He wants some more. Do you see that in the passage? Nope. Persistence breaks resistance. It always does. The devil's actually afraid of people when they stand up and say, no, I'm going to stand. Because Satan wants you to fall. He's expecting you to. I love it as you study Luke chapter 4, the end of the season when Jesus is done fasting, the Bible says, and the devil fled from him. Jesus, as weak and malnourished as he was, tempted and tried as he was, Satan ran from him. 
Satan runs when we're persistent because persistence breaks resistance. So parent, don't give up on your child. So grandparent, don't give up on your grandchildren. So mom, don't give up on your son. Dad, don't give up on your daughter. Christian, don't give up on your God. It's not time to stop. It's not time to quit. It is time to be persistent because persistence always breaks resistance. Paul did not back down to bullies. And in this day and age, with cancel culture, woke culture, everything going around, you can see they are trying to silence the Christians. And unless we wake up and we say, dear God of heaven, please save us, we are destroying the next generation. We are making it nigh impossible for them to have any chance at innocence and purity. That's what you're seeing this week. When you're seeing the stuff that we're seeing, you can see it's Satan trying to steal our children's innocence and their purity. I'm so proud of the parents in this room, and it's a mixed blessing that you get to see what your teachers are piping in through those Zoom school meetings, because two of your parents had the courage to stand up and say, hey, we're not teaching Marxism to my first grader that's number one and then we're not going to teach this this two moms two dads stuff to my kindergartner we're not doing it you as a Christian parent remember what Genesis said God created male and female created he them that's what God created if that upsets you let's go to God's word on it okay let's have a discourse based on scripture this is not out of anger it's not out of hatred but you need to understand there's an indoctrination happening through our public education system and as parents we're going to say nope I'm going to be persistent nope you want to try to force that and I've got a great documentary if any parent wants to see it on the and I know we got children. I'm, I'm trying to be very careful of the graphic nature of what they are teaching our kindergartners. It is so graphic, it would make somebody who works for a dirty magazine blush. What they want to pipe in and think, oh, it's just, it's just intimate education. And you know the word that I'm trying. I'm being careful here, parents. And, and yet they want to give it to our kindergartners? Are you kidding me? They have no business. We're trying to... We're, <sighs> I'm going to use a bad word. I'm, I'm sorry. They're trying to get our children porn ready. That's what they're trying to do. That, that's all the, the, the agenda. They're trying to take away their innocence. And parents, we got to stand guard against this. we got to say, no, enough is enough. We will be persistent. And so when you see your children, they, ask what the teachers are teaching. For too long, we've just sat back and we haven't been persistent as Christians. We, we, we got a couple of good people in office, and then we just kind of think, oh, well, I'm, my work's done. I'll just kind of kick back. Folks, every Monday, Pastor Missile, you know what we do? We go down, we get nothing bunt cake, and we go find pastors, and we go pray with them. Because you have no idea how close so many pastors are to quitting. Because they've never seen day and age like this. I spent the day with my own brother. We sat there in the living room. We said, I don't know, Micaiah. I don't know. He's 40. Got a good ministry. You know, the, the, the amount of attack that people are under, people need encouragement. They need the, the, the encouragement to stand. And if they will stand, they will be able to see God break through. We need to see Christians seeing God move. Look at the persistence and the resistance that Paul and Barnabas showed. In verse 11 and 12. They wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas, didn't they? They wanted to make them gods. They wanted to bring an offering. And what did Paul and Barnabas do? You know, sometimes it's really hard to resist praise. Easy to resist criticism. But you give somebody some praise, oh, especially as a dude, I'm talking as a dude, goes straight to my head so fast. And my lovely, sweet, amazing wife is like, all right, I'm going to say something good. Your head's going to go like this, but I'll pop it right away. So it'll be okay. It'll, it'll all balance itself out. I'm like, thank you. What a blessing. But understand, it's so hard when we get praise, we can get prideful, can't we? But look how they handled the praise. They said, we are men just like you. Don't worship us. So they overcame that temptation. The second temptation was the persecution. They overcame that temptation. Then there's always the temptation of just to have peace. Church, let me talk to you. There's a difference between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. It's a big difference. Many of you think, oh man, we just need some peacekeepers. No, we need peacemakers. You know what a peacemaker is different from a peacekeeper? A peacekeeper is just there to, 
compromise. Just, hey, we're all okay. Everybody's okay. Everybody's fine. Everybody loves everybody. We're all fine. It's all fine. It's all fine. Here's money. Here's some food. What, what do we got to do? All right. Oh, in the family. All right. We'll just go to everybody's favorite restaurant tonight. We'll just hit them all up because we're, gonna, we're just going to keep peace. No. A peacemaker says, hey, I love all of you. And because I love you, I'm actually going to pay for everybody's dinner. But we're going where I choose. I'm going to make peace. And if you don't like it, we always tell our children, we'll go to the restaurant on 106 Malin Court. It's a great little place. The House Cafe. You'll love it. It's delicious. And our kids are like, the House Cafe sounds great. Then we get to our house. The House Cafe. Enjoy. Whatever you want, you can have it. So there's a difference. Right now we need people who say, you know, I'm going to make peace in this season. I'm not just going to, I'm not just going to like let things happen. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that God is honored here. But I know what many of you are thinking. Many of you are thinking this, pastor, I'm just tired though. Pastor, I'm just, I'm just broke. Pastor, I'm, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm scared. Pastor, I'm weak. I'm through. I'm finished. I got nothing left in the tank. I, I wish I could be persistent. When I'm around all the Christians, man, I'm excited about being persistent. But as soon as I get home, I'm defeated. And this week, as I was praying and writing my journal, I actually said all the same things to God. And I didn't hear an audible voice, but I felt a prompt in my spirit that God said, Micaiah, I'm the opposite of you. I said, thanks, God. That's super encouraging. You're the opposite. That's so good. Didn't know that. And he said, no. You're tired, Micaiah, but I'm not. You're broke, but I'm not. You're scared, but I'm not. You're overwhelmed, but I'm not. Whatever you are, God's the positive opposite. God's saying, I've got you in this season. I've got you in my hand. I'm going to get you through. So no matter how tired you are, no matter how worn out you are, God says, just take this book, just read it, just pray and trust me, and we're going to do just fine. We're going to make it through this. We're going to get through this, and we're going to look back and thank God for this season. We will. We're going to be like Job. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Though he tries me, I will come forth like gold. I'm going to come forth out of this fire. God's not going to leave me here. He's not going to abandon me here. He's doing something in the middle of this. So remember when you're tired and when you're scared and you're worn out, God's I'm the opposite. And your persistence breaks resistance. But then let's stop here. We got to go. Persistence is the price of success. Persistence is the price for success. Let me ask you a question. Why did Paul, who after just spending some time, he healed a man in this city, preached, many believed on him in this city. You would think his work is done. Why are you going back, Paul? Why are you going to go back to the city that doesn't obviously want you there? Why in this season are you going to show persistence, Paul? Is it worth it, Paul? Why would you do it, Paul? I don't understand it, Paul. It makes no sense, Paul, because you say you go back into the city, and then the next day, so you just stay a day, was there a good restaurant you needed to try again? Was there a hotel you needed to visit? What was it, Paul? Because the next day, you go 40 miles away to Derby, and you have to jump ahead to find out why. In Acts chapter number 16, verse number 1 and 2, we meet a man. His name is Timothy. For all you Bible scholars, you know Timothy. You've read some of Timothy's writings. Timothy pastors a church of a little over 5,000. Timothy becomes Paul's son in the faith. Timothy becomes a great man of God who is used in powerful ways to take the gospel. P and Timothy becomes a great preacher. Timothy takes the gospel to amazing places even after Paul is dead and his ministry is over. Timothy continues. And do you know where they found Timothy in Acts chapter number 16? They found him in Iconium. The same city that said, we don't want you. We're going to stone you. Get out of here. There's nothing left here. I don't know if Paul knew it or not. Maybe even at the time, Paul didn't even recognize it. The Bible says that Paul told Timothy, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example unto all men. So Paul was very young in the ministry. 
Very young. We don't know how young, but he was very young. So I can imagine Paul getting back up, just beaten, bruised, maybe some broken ribs, and he starts limping back a black eye, and he's feeling like he's got nothing else, and limping into Iconium. And you can imagine that there are people in the marketplace, people at the gate snickering and laughing. Here comes the crazy preacher. Here comes the guy that wanted to heal some people. We showed him. You can imagine him going back and maybe preaching one more time and thinking, God, I don't know if that helped. But I can imagine that there was a small boy somewhere in the back, maybe on an iPad, maybe not really listening, maybe coloring, maybe had some papyrus and drawing, just sitting there. But then when Paul spoke, even though he wasn't a good preacher, the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through him in his words arrested that young man's attention. So even though Paul shows up over a year later, this one, Timothy, will go on Paul's second missionary journey and become Paul's son in the faith. You see, your persistence is the price for success. You know, a pastor went to go preach many years ago. And he went to a church on a midweek service. And he had a burden that God was going to use somebody to take the gospel to the world in that service. So the pastor was so excited to preach. And he gets to this church in London, and there's seven old ladies. The pastor was so discouraged. Man, I... I believe God had a message for me. He said, well, I'm going to give my message anyway. He preaches his message with all the passion and fire and intensity that he could preach. Gives the invitation, nothing. He leaves thinking, I don't know if that meeting did any good. But there was a man, a young boy rather. In those days, the pipe organs were so big, you would have a little boy crawl inside the pipe organ to help with all the pedals because they would fill the entire back of the auditorium. A boy by the name of William Carey was inside the pipe organ. William Carey became a great missionary to take the gospel to another part of the world that that preacher never knew he was there. But he said, I got to be persistent. You don't know what God's going to do. You don't know what God's going to bring out of this season. I can't read the future and neither can you. Only God can. So he put us here and he's asking us in this season to persist. Let me read to you Paul's final words and we'll close with prayer. 2 Timothy 4, 6 and 8. For I am ready being poured out as a drink offering the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I've finished my race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, not just for Paul. This is why all of us can be like Paul but also to all who have loved his appearing. Everybody can have that crown. Everybody can have that reward. If we will persist, if we will keep going, can we all stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Father, I can sense it. I can sense when people feel like they're at the end. They're looking up at the clock. It's not even the third quarter and they feel like they got nothing left. There's a mother who thinks, I don't got anything left. There's a dad who thinks, I got nothing left for this marriage. There's a Christian who thinks, this is it. I don't know if I can hang on. There's somebody in this room who feels 
defeated and discouraged. It was all they could do to walk through those doors. It was all they could do to get up this morning. And God, then to hear how Paul challenges us with his life, a man who had a pattern of persistence, who didn't give up, he got up. Father, in this season, help us to persist. Your man Paul said to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. God, help us to endure. Help every man, woman, and child in this room to endure hardness. The days are coming. We want to break, but it could get harder, God. And we need to be ready for it. Because we know our reward and our final home is not here. God, it's with you. So, Father, help us to endure. Help us to persist. Help us to keep going. Be not weary in well-doing, your word says. For in due season we will reap if we faint not. So help us, God. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you're in this room and you're saying, Pastor, I'm on the verge. I need help. I need encouragement. I'm on the verge of quitting. I'm on the verge of giving up. Is that you? Can I pray for you? Just slip up your hand. Nobody's looking. Amen. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. Hands down. Folks, this is why we need each other. This is why we need church. This is why we need to be here, where we can have these chains, these lies, and these uh, thoughts drop away from us. Father, we rebuke this. Father, we rebuke the negativity. We rebuke the doubt. We rebuke the fear. We rebuke these things in the name of Jesus. We rebuke these evil spirits that are trying to attack us mentally. We rebuke these things that would try to discourage, these things that would tell us it's not worth going. Father, we stand in your glory, Father. We want to stand and before you humbly and say, God, we need you, Father. So, Father, help every person. We pray this in Jesus' name. At this time, I want to open up the altar. And if you need to pray, you can kneel down at the front here as the worship team sings. Or if you want to make an altar in your seat, you can kneel there. But let's spend some time praying and seeking God.
Amen. Amen. Powerful, powerful. In your prayer this week, would you just pray, God, help me to believe what I'm singing about. May it shake the core of my being when I say I believe that the power of God can break every chain. Because when Christians understand the true power and nature of God, all of a sudden we do become Romans 8.28 and Romans 8.29 and Romans 8.30 where we understand that we are more than conquerors. May that shake us. I'm going to ask Brother William Nels if he would come and close out our service in prayer. And as we're about to be prepared to dismiss, if this is your first time at Southridge, I hope that you grabbed a connection card away, and we'd love for you to fill that out. And if you didn't, please stick around. I'd love to greet you. Fist bump, wave, high five, whatever you feel comfortable with. I'm going to ask all our life group leaders, you could be dismissed to your tables as uh, Brother Williams is coming to pray. And then if you're a regular attender or member of Southridge, we invite you to just to to make your offering there. The offering donation box is in the back. We're so grateful and thankful that you are here. We look forward to hopefully you can stay around and sign up for a life group. They even got food to bribe you to get you to go to their group. So please, uh, please stop by, say hello, and try out some good food. Brother Williams, why don't you please come, brother, and uh, close out our service in prayer, if you would, sir. Father God, we have come to end worship, and we thank you for speaking your word through our pastor. Thank you for loving our loving us and touching our lives in ways that we cannot explain as we depart to our homes and various destinations we ask you to continue being with us let your spirit see us through in jesus name we pray amen we hope you were encouraged by today's message from pastor micaiah if it was a blessing to you don't forget to share it with a friend or family member this week if you have any questions, we'd love to hear them. Get in touch with us by visiting SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect. Again, that's SouthridgeSanJose.com slash connect.